Welcome to We've Got Issues. I'm Joshua Holland. Liz Prez is off this week. Um, we're going to speak with Lydia DePillis from uh, ProPublica about Trump burrowing um, loyalists, uh, ideologues, whack jobs, we don't know who exactly, uh, uh, political appointees into the federal civil service where they are harder to get rid of for a subsequent regime. And um, also some other moves that they're doing to kind of entrench their agenda um, under Joe Biden. It's uh, we can't get rid of this guy. It's so hard to get rid of this guy. 81 million people voted against Donald Trump and um, he continues to, you know, insist that he won. I'm I'm tired of winning in courts. I think that we're we're up to, I think, Trump and his allies. Not all these lawsuits have been um, by Trump, by the Trump campaign themselves. But I think that Trump and his allies are one and 52 in various courts, according to Mark Elias, the Democratic super lawyer. Um, 17 state attorney generals have joined Texas in declaring that other states' elections are not to their liking, have not been conducted to their liking. That includes um, Utah, which agreed with the Texas attorney general that Voting by mail is a bad thing, inherently fraudulent. And of course, in Utah, um, most people vote by mail and have for a year. So it's, um, it's you know, it's we're, we're in a depressing state where we know that these things are not going to go anywhere, but we're still kind of processing them. And we have another six weeks to go until um, Inauguration Day 2021. So we'll be... Continuing to follow the uh, the transition between these these two very different administrations. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden, uh, Joe Biden's son, announced that he was um, he had been contacted by a prosecutor in Delaware, a Trump appointed uh, a, a U.S. attorney in Delaware, and uh, told that he was being investigated for tax issues, unspecified tax issues. Conservative media is going crazy over this, and uh, there are reports that this is a, a broader investigation. And here's the thing: I don't know. I don't know. That guy could be dirty. I I wouldn't put it past him. But I have to say that, given Trump's relentless demands that his uh, political opponents, all of his political opponents, be investigated and tried for unspecified crimes um you know any prosecution by a trump appointee under william barr is going to be inherently tainted on its face they never give these things up right we'll still still be hearing about benghazi for decades to come decades to come Anyway, we're going to move on with the show quickly today. Uh, We're going to kind of cut short our introduction. um, And we're going to take a quick break and come right back with Lydia DePillis. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to the show. I'm still Joshua Holland, and I'm joined now by Lydia DePillis. Lydia is a reporter with ProPublica. Uh, Lydia, welcome to We've Got Issues. Good to be here. Thanks for taking the time. Is it ProPublica or ProPublica? ProPublica, for the record, spread the news. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, one of the success stories in uh, in media these days, one of the few. Uh, we're starting to dig into the details of the transition here between the era of Trump and the era of Biden. Uh, Lydia has a piece titled, How Dozens of Trump Political Appointees Will Stay in Government After Biden Takes Over. Um, and of course, you can read that at ProPublica.org. Um, so uh, let's just start... Um, and you've also been, I should say, tracking the Trump regime's kind of last-ditch efforts to entrench uh, some of their agenda through a series of um, late executive branch rule changes, which I just want to talk uh, about in a minute as well. And this stuff is it may not be as, as sexy as some other issue areas, but this stuff is really, really, really important. Uh, federal government is, of course, one of the largest institutions on the planet, and these kinds of um, nuts and bolts governance issues have uh, far-reaching impact. So uh, what does uh, burrowing mean in this context? <laughs> burrowing is kind of a colorful term for the process of converting oneself from a political appointee who serve at the pleasure of the president and go away after uh, a president it goes away himself uh, into a civil service job, which is the type of position that is supposed to be apolitical, expertise-driven, uh, and serve from administration to administration. And those folks enjoy quite um, a few employment protections, uh, which are meant to insulate them against the type of patronage system that reigned in the early days of the Republic, wherein presidents would simply reward their um, campaign staffers and donors with uh, jobs in the government. Now, you write that the number of officials that the Trump administration is trying to burrow into the civil service is roughly comparable to that of past administrations. Is there a uh, qualitative difference between these political appointees and those that past presidents have tried to um, burrow into the into the civil service? And I, I ask because... You know, we, we, we look at these personnel issues pretty frequently on the show. We've, we've established pretty clearly that Trump does have a, a penchant for um, ideologues who are not well qualified and uh, people with apparent conflicts of interest at the agency level. Are you seeing s some differences between the quality of the candidates? Right. So I should first say that we don't have total visibility into who burrows from administration to administration, right? Um just briefly, the process is, is that the Office of Personnel Management requires all agencies to submit or review anyone they want to make kind of transition so they can make sure that there wasn't undue political influence at play. And so then the OPM submits lists of those people to congressional committees. Um, sometimes they leak them, sometimes they don't. And then, so I happen to have the, the list for this year. I don't have lists of names for previous years. I just have numbers, um, which are also generally reported at the end of an administration by the GAO. So I can say they're roughly comparable and I can rely also on the longer experience of folks with the Partnership for Public Service um, who have you know seen more of these lists over the years. And it, it does seem to them that these appointees are more political in nature. They're higher profile. They have more partisan and ideological backgrounds. 
And, and so um, even if they have, so a bunch of them have passed muster at the OPM. The only ones that we have names for are those who have been approved. We know that there are some that have not been approved, who in fact have been rejected because the agency couldn't prove that they were free of political influence. Um, and those who have not yet been approved, we don't know their names, we can see their positions, some of which are fairly high profile and important coming from um, offices within places like the D Department of Justice and the Office White House of of the Office of Legal Policy at the White House, um, which are the kinds of places that like make judicial appointments and um, decide policy on asylum cases for for, for immigration uh, purposes. So, um, yes, <laughs> long story short, they are more political, um, despite there not being many more of them than uh, we've seen in previous administrations. And, and I mean, that's again, that's par for the course. We've we've seen this from. Uh, this administration, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, poorly qualified nut jobs in some cases. Uh, you focus on some hires at uh, a couple of agencies that you just mentioned, um, DHS, Department of Justice. These are also agencies that I think a lot of us think are in most need of reform. Uh, can you run down for us some of the specific people that you looked in at the, the piece? And, and also just Give us a sense of how these kinds of political appointees turned civil servants can um, bog down an incoming administration or uh, make it more difficult for them to uh, advance a, a change in agenda. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll just start with that for context. Like that is the concern. Um, and typically these types of transitions are uh, looked at really closely by the the party that is out of power in the White House um, for the incoming White House. So like after the Obama administration, congressional Republicans were all over this, demanding very frequent updates um, because they did not want Obama folks to be embedded into the civil service where they could be a problem for the Trump agenda. Um, and the same case uh, was true as Bush was leaving. And uh, actually quite a few more people went from the Bush administration into federal government service. Um, and so they can do all kinds of things, right? Like uh, anybody can, um, without outright stopping something, slow down a rule. Um, you know, if you're an administrative law judge, make decisions that are industry friendly. Um, if, you know, if you are, uh, if you're a, 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 in running an immigration court, you can set rules that are not very friendly to folks seeking asylum. So to just put names to those, um, a few folks that jumped out at me were a um, young man named Christopher Prendoni, who got his start in Washington working for Americans for Tax Reform, the Grover Northcliffe run group, and he handled energy issues for them. Um, and then he was hired at the beginning of the Trump administration in as in a fairly high-ranking position at the Council on Environmental Quality, um, and from there went to the Department of the Interior, where he was a close advisor to Secretary Bernhardt, and then earlier this year was appointed to be an administrative law judge in the Office of Hearings and Appeals at BLM, which decides all kinds of land use issues um, on you know disputes regarding oil leases, etc. So, you know, it's hard to tell at this point what kind of effect that has had. Uh, folks who watch this kind of stuff pretty closely say that the office has been moving slowly during the pandemic. And so 
you know, there was no like particularly egregious cases to point to, but that's the kind of position that will uh, remain for as long as it takes for Biden to replace that person. So, um, you know, and that is a, that is a court uh, or body. It's like an administrative court that has typically been very technically minded, nonpartisan, not ideological, just like deciding balls and strikes. And, and, and it's not been politicized like some of the other federal courts. Um, and, uh, sorry, should I pause? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. And I'll just name a couple other folks who jump at me. Um, you know, another really high profile person was a guy named Tracy Short, who is a long time federal government um, servant and in both political and civil service positions, um, usually acting as a immigration prosecutor in um, various different federal courts and then later at the um, the, the DHS's uh, um, Office of Immigration Customs and Enforcement. Um, and, and in that role, he uh, was pretty closely aligned with, um, you know, Stephen Miller's uh, a, a attempts to crack down on a, a, the number of folks who came in as asylees. And, um, you know, so earlier this year, he was appointed to be something called the chief immigration judge which essentially runs that court and decides the rules that govern something like 30-something uh, judges uh, who hear immigration cases. And so there was a lot of concern from um, former judges that I spoke with that he doesn't have the experience to be a good person to preside over that court, having mostly spent his time as a prosecutor. And the Department of Justice you know, strongly disagrees with that. They say that he has plenty of, of the relevant experience. Um, and of course, you know, experiences adds up to whatever you want to do with a court. And in this case, they, they are speeding up these kinds of appeals by shortening deadlines and um, taking away some of the discretion from judges to, to hear all the facts of every case. And we've talked to immigration experts on this show before who've talked mm -hmm. about the importance of those rules, that you set up the rules and it has an incredible impact on the share of asylum seekers who are accepted or rejected. And that comes down to, you know, whether they have a, a representation or a right to representation, how the how the um, the process is structured. Um, and I want to put this in a little bit of a, a bigger context and step back for a second, because uh, you mentioned this in your piece. Trump is doing this even as he is trying to weaken the protections for um, for career civil servants. So he issued this executive order. It's very controversial. Um, it, it basically would um, re re characterize um, uh, career civil servants in a way that would make them easier to uh, easier to fire. So it's a it's this this thing about merit-based civil service. How do these things interact? That's right. So, um, you know, I don't know if they're meant to act in concert, but they certainly could. And uh, what you're talking about is something called Schedule F. And it is this new classification for federal civil servants that was created by executive order, I think in October. And it, it basically says every agency will need to create a list of folks who have policy making or policy advocating or confidential duties. And so this is kind of like a quasi-political appointee. And they will no longer enjoy the protections of regular civil servants. And, um, and 
therefore could be pretty easily fired for ideological reasons. And so that process is sort of grinding ahead. Several agencies have submitted lists, but it's kind of unclear um, how quickly the administration wishes to act on them by replacing folks. But if they did, and you know, again, like we don't have a ton of visibility into this and congressional committees are asking for more, um, but if they wish to move very quickly, uh, they could replace a lot of those, you know, what had been previously thought of as high level government career officials with um, formerly political appointees or anybody actually wouldn't have to be a political appointee before that at all. Um, and, you know, thereby perpetuate the Trump agenda into uh, the Biden administration and also just, you know, um, secure for folks uh, what is, you know, some pretty, which can, what can be, um, you know, pretty cool jobs with neat responsibilities and a comfortable salary. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a, a, the, the widespread concern is that he's he's doing this to prepare a kind of last minute purge, followed by appointments of um, various uh, loyalists, right? Trump loyalists who would uh, continue the agenda into into a Democratic presidency. Yeah. I just want to point out one other piece of uh, context, because, again, this is it's important to kind of step back and look at the the big picture. Um, the New York Times is reporting that um, the Trump administration is planting loyalists in Biden transition meetings. So uh, this is a story uh, by Lisa Friedman. It was, uh, I think, the day before yesterday. Loyalists to President Trump have blocked transition meetings at some government agencies and are sitting in on discussions at other agencies between career civil servants and Biden's transition team, sometimes chilling those conversations. So there, there seems to be a concerted effort here um, to preserve Trumpism, you know, even as, as Trump himself and many of his allies uh, delegitimize the results of the election, right? And I, and I do kind of create a, 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 a certain connection between those things, right? It's, a, it's always a, this um, consistent belief on the right that um, democratic governance is almost by definition illegitimate and, and really just these relentless efforts to entrench um, conservative policymaking in, in the legislative branch and also, as we've talked on the show, in the judiciary. Um, and this, again, as, as context, is important context, there's also this flurry of rulemaking going on, right? So um, talk to us a little bit about that. What are these midnight regulations that uh, you and your colleagues have been tracking? Yeah. Some of them. Right. So again, I mean, like we call them midnight regulations in every administration, especially if it realizes it's not going to be around for very long, does try to finish up things that have been ongoing for a while and sometimes sort of does last ditch efforts to start processes that may not finish um, or have time to finish before the next administration comes along. So um, we have been taking a look at things that have advanced since the election through the regulatory process. And that could be things that were proposed years ago and then all of a sudden there's a final rule or all of a sudden it shows up at OMB for, for review. Um, and sometimes it's like totally new things that have been pr pr proposed and have very accelerated comment periods um, and, uh, you know, in an effort to get them done. And so, you know, that's everything from changing the ways in which federal inmates on death row can be executed to make sure that they are in fact able to be executed, even if the 
previously um, the previously required methods are not available. Um, things like uh, inc finalizing rules to increase um, the speed at which chickens can be slaughtered in, in poultry plants. Um, you know, a lot of environmental rules um, solidifying some of those rollbacks. Um, a lot of which are tied to uh, rushed uh, leasing of um, oil drilling lands in the uh, outer continental shelf of the Arctic. Um, there's a lot of immigration stuff. Um, there's a lot of kind of culture war stuff, like, you know, um, protecting religious organizations at, when they apply for federal grants to make sure that they don't have to change any of their employment <laughs> preferences, which allows them to dis discriminate. Um, so, uh, you know, um, and all of these things could technically be repealed, uh, but, you know, once they sort of gelled, it takes a while and it's a cumbersome process. And um, it, if, if the Democrats do not hold the Senate, they also would have a hard time using the Congressional Review Act, which the Republicans did to great effect um, in, uh, to toss out a bunch of Obama era regulations at the, in the early days of the Trump administration. Yeah. And I, I guess we're once again, hoping when we see this flurry of new rules, we've seen this uh, a number of times where they have been um, sloppy in the rulemaking process and uh, courts have struck down a lot of the, a lot of pieces of Trump's agenda uh, because the uh, I's weren't dotted and the T's weren't crossed. And we saw that with, for example, the efforts to roll back DACA, the uh, deferred action for, for dreamers. The court said, look, I mean, you have the power to do this. You just need to follow the law. And, um, and the Supreme Court struck down that effort because they had not uh, they had not adhered to the law. So I, I guess with some of these rules, we'll see if they if they are accomplished with more um, rigor and, uh, you know, care to the details. Yeah, I'm not sure they will be. Um, but even if they're not, it takes up time by advocacy groups have to sue. And, you know, the the incoming administration has a lot of things they want to get done. And so if they have to spend time kind of like digging out uh, from a lot of rushed efforts by the their predecessors, then that just slows them down. Yeah, it does. All right. I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us about this. This is all very important stuff, and I appreciate you keeping a track of it as well. My pleasure. I'd also like to thank David Edwards, our producer and engineer, and the good folks at Alternate and Raw Story for supporting the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Joshua Hall. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. We're going to be reshuffling the show a little bit, and um, we're going to have a... a few year of end a few year end uh podcasts that are going to be a little shorter than usual and then we're relaunching in january with a different format we're going to start to have two guests a year um after i take a couple of weeks off but that's that's not going to be until january just giving you a heads up um in the meantime i want to thank all of you good people for tuning in have a terrific week <laughs>